Uh, well, with that, we're starting a new series on the church this morning in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in to Acts chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as your church, as your congregation. We do not want to do anything that is outside of your path. And we want to step with courage and conviction in to whatever. That we believe Jesus is the most important thing about us as a church. We believe Jesus is the most important thing about this world in which we live. And so we pause now to hear about him. So Spirit, open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, at age 17, I, I fell in love. It was a surprise because three years earlier, I... I wanted nothing to do with her. Might have even been willing to never see her again. And like most loves, it just kind of happened to me. I I did everything I could to fight it. I couldn't tell you the moment that I I finally gave in, finally saw it. Must have been a thousand little decisions I made or things I experienced until finally it was clear to me. Finally, I I could see it and speak it. I love the church. And I know that's weird, uh, but at 17, as many of my friends that I was closest to began to spend their time getting drunk, I started leading a Bible study. Well, a lot of my friends met with uh, the guidance counselor to determine what's the best thing uh, they should do with their lives. I told my guidance counselor I didn't care what she thought about what I should do with my life. I was going to be a pastor. What happened to me? Because that's weird, right? The church is why at 30 uh, years old, I decided to take a risk and plant um, this congregation. And rather than going to a church with a history and a building and a budget and people, I, I thought planting a church and new churches was, were so crucial to the mission of what God has in this world that I was willing and, and, and wanting to take the risk of going to a place with no building, no people, no history, no idea if this will work. So why, why church? And let's be real, why this church? Because you all, each week, choose to worship in a place that has a sign in this room that says, I'd rather eat bugs than do drugs. It's, right, it's actually, it's right there. You can check. There's a few more. That's my favorites, okay? So what happened to you? Like, you're weird if you're willing to do this. Why, why church? Why this church? And we're going to spend most of this year really reflecting on that question. And I want us to spend time as a church going back to the basics, who we are, why we exist, where we are going together. Because the longer an organization exists, whether it's a church, a business, anything, the longer it exists, the further or the more tempting it is to get away from the mission and to get to do, start doing something else. So why church? And the answer to that question is we, the church, are sent to give witness to the way things really are. We, the church, are sent to give witness to the way things really are. And I want to unpack that one at a time going backwards. Starting with first, we, the church, we're sent to bear witness to the way things really are. The way things really are. So this, this book, Acts, we're going to be looking into. It, it's an interesting book, and it's written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is uh, the third in the New Testament of the four Gospels, the story of the life of Jesus um, that we have, and we know that the same person wrote both is, is because uh, both are addressed to this man named Theophilus. 
And Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, wants to convince Theophilus that Christianity is true, that the Gospel is true. And we're not exactly sure who Theophilus is, but it's safe to say that Theophilus, at the very least, is an educated skeptic. He's fairly prominent, important in his community. He's probably a middle class or upper middle class. He's heard about Christianity. He may have even been converted, but he still has significant questions. So Luke sits down first to to give an orderly account of Jesus' life. That's the gospel of Luke. And now Luke sits down to write Theophilus what happened after Jesus ascended into the heavens and sent his church out into the world in mission. But Theophilus, he still has doubts. He's like a lot of us. That we look at Theophilus and maybe read some things in the Bible and wonder, is that true? Did that happen? And I want to pause here for a minute. I don't want to gloss over this. Because one thing I often hear repeated of, of Christians or Christianity is that like people who lived at Jesus' time in the first century, uh, century they, were, they sort of easily would believe in the supernatural. They're sort of easily gullible, easily maybe duped. Even, but if you read Acts 1 and you read especially the end of Jesus' life and, and what happens after his resurrection, that, you, that, that argument does not hold water. And so, for example, in Matthew 28, 17, um, this man named Jesus who lived, or Matthew, who lived with Jesus uh, for three years of his life, was one of his disciples. He claims that Jesus rose from the dead. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he said Jesus appeared to the disciples. And this is what he said happens in one of those uh, appearances. So Jesus, he's died. Matthew said he's risen from the grave. This risen Jesus is in front of his disciples. Matthew says, this is what happens. happened. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What Matthew's saying is happening is that some people saw the resurrected Christ and doubted. And you see this in Acts 1 as well. That If you look back again at verse 3, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them, to the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now when Jesus says, or when Luke says Jesus presented himself, that's courtroom language. The word presented means to, to give courtroom evidence. You're showing something to, to prove that something is, is true. And what's happening is Theophilus needs convincing that Jesus, he, he has not seen the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Jesus. So he needs convincing. And Luke is saying, a lot of people saw this. But he's not just saying that. He's also saying, no, listen, Theophilus, even the people who saw Jesus had a hard time believing this. Jesus had to present himself to them many times for 40 days, again and again, and show them many proofs. These aren't, these aren't dupes that just were like, oh yeah, resurrection, let's believe. No, they, it took convincing of them. And after all, Luke is a doctor, and I think if there's anyone who maybe would have a hard time believing in, in uh, resurrection from the dead, it would be a doctor who knows what death is, who knows, is well acquainted what life looks like when it has left a body. And yet Luke, who is a doctor, spends 20, writing 25% of the New Testament with the, the explicit purpose of convincing a man named Theophilus and other skeptics, doubters, that Jesus rose from the dead and all of this actually happened. And so this introduction to Acts, the first three verses of Acts, which may seem a little boring, like, all right, let's get to the real good stuff. After no, the, the first three verses are incredibly important to who we are as a church and our mission as a church. This has two foundational implications for who we are as a congregation. The first being that seekers should feel welcome here. All right, those who, are, those who have questions, those who are not sure, they should feel welcome. And I want our church to embody the spirit of Luke, which is, is this, this thought that this guy named Theophilus needs help in belief. And Luke wants to provide him help 
in belief. This should be a safe place for anyone to walk in and explore Christianity. Because if you doubt this message, I get that. Right? The disciples who saw the resurrected Jesus get your doubts. This should be a place to bring them, to, to wrestle with them together, to, to, to question. You're, you're welcome here. It's, it's, listen, this informs the way I preach. This informs even why something like a hospitality team is so important, why greeting and welcoming people is so important to our congregation, because we have the assumption that people will walk in not having bought everything we're doing, that have significant questions, and so we want them to feel an inviting, welcoming, hospitable pay, uh, place where they can, they can seek, they can, they can search, they can ask. We'd hope, right, that Theophilus could walk into our congregation and feel at home. That's why Luke is writing Acts. That's why he wrote his gospel. So one, like, seekers should feel welcome here. But two, another implication the first three verses has for us as a congregation is that our mission is rooted in history. All right, we, we must never lose, like, the most important question at the heart of Christianity, which is not, is Christianity practical, right? Will it give you your best life? Will it answer all your financial questions? Listen, that, those things are important, but that's not central. Right? Our question isn't, does Christianity work? Our question isn't even, do you like it? The central question of Christianity, is it, did it happen? Is it true? Because Luke starts in the first few verses not by saying, this is the best teaching you'll ever hear. This is, this is the best life philosophy. No, he says, this happened. This is true. Jesus really rose from the grave. That primarily Christianity is a claim about something that happened 2,000 years ago. That Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a cross. Jesus, a carpenter, was laid into a tomb dead. Jesus, the son of Mary, was raised to life three days later. And Jesus, friend to Mary, or friend to many, appeared to hundreds of people alive, which set in motion this, this organization, this place called the church. And that Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of God. That's Acts 1. And he rules all of history, all of the earth, from the right hand of God now, bringing about the, the redemption and salvation of all things, making all things new. That Christianity is a claim that that is the way things really are. And everything else, does it work? Is it practical? Does it help me figure out how to parent my kids? Or find, all of that is incredibly important, but none of it matters if, that, if this isn't true. The primary question, the primary thing we're doing as a church is saying something has changed. The world is not as it, real, as it appears to be. That Luke wants to show this happened, this is history. And not, not so long ago, I was having a conversation with someone who's not, uh, not a believer, not a Christian, and, and we were talking about something he uh, found offensive within Christianity. And I explained the Christian position to him and, and uh, how Christianity understands this, this thing. And he kept pushing me with really thoughtful questions. And I could tell we're not going to get to a place of agreement. I finally just said, listen, if you think that your way into being a Christian is like you're going to, I'm going to convince you of this really controversial issue and you're going to find it to be true and then you're going to become a Christian. Like that's, no, that's not how it works. That, this controversial issue is less important to you than did Jesus rise from the dead? Where's his body? That's the real question. Because if, if Jesus' body is still, if it's still rotting away in the Middle East somewhere, if it, just, if it went to dust 2,000 years ago, then who cares what Christians think about whatever given controversial topic of the day? All, our whole mission is wasted. 
And it's not that we shouldn't work, and we should absolutely work, to find ways to engage really, you know, beliefs that our culture looks at us and finds us backward on. We should absolutely work to, to find common ground there. But the reality is, listen, what matters is did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did not rise from the dead, who cares what I think? If he did rise from the dead, Jesus is far more brilliant about everything we think about the world than any human being ever will be. And he knows more about everything we think about than, anyone, than any person in this culture, any person in this room has. If he knows how to overcome death, he knows the world better than every human being. That's the central question. And as a church, that's where we need to be centered and focused on. It's not that we won't deal with or talk about other things, but if we lose sight of the central piece of our mission, which is that we claim something happened in history, then we're off mission. We're off, we've lost our why. Our witness as a church is not that Jesus has the best teachings. Although we think he does, it's, but that's not our central message. Our central message is not that we have the right view on whatever controversial topic of the day, although those things are incredibly important. Our central message is that Jesus Christ reigns and is in control of history. Right? The people who feel forgotten are not. Jesus, who sits in control of history, died and gave his life for them on the cross. Work that feels meaningless is not. Jesus Christ is making all things New. Everything sad that has happened to you will come untrue because Jesus Christ is reigning through all of history. Everything you've suffered, everything that you give to Jesus, every pain that you give to Jesus, he will, like his own cross, turn suffering into salvation. That is our central witness. We have good news. That's the way things really are. And church, may we, may we bear witness to the way things really are. Jesus has ascended, Dr. Luke says to Theophilus. And that drives everything we do. That's what drives our mission. So that's the way things are uh, first. The second is the church is a witnessing community. You have Jesus saying to the disciples, you're, you're to be my witnesses. And it's, it's really, it's probably not possible to overestimate the importance of this moment. That for a long time, for 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm going to leave you. Right? You're not going to have me anymore. And so this is the last moment. And Jesus here, he's, he's giving them their mission here in Acts, Acts 1.8. And here's what he says their mission is. Acts, Acts 1.8. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is such an important moment because Jesus says, what I want you to do is I want you to bear witness to my kingdom. That's what, you're to be witnesses that there is resurrection life, that I'm reigning from, and controlling history. You are to bear witness to that, which means the church's primary mission is not a political mission. I mean, that's what the disciples try to get Jesus here when they ask him, hey, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What he's saying is, all right, are we going to get political power now? Are we going to kick Rome out? Are you going to be king? Are we going to finally have the political power we want? And Jesus rebukes him. He says, no, that's not, that's not your concern. Your concern is to be my witnesses to all of the world. Our, in other words, our church's mission is not primarily political. It has political implications, yes, but it's not primarily political. But the church does that. It abandons its mission to become a political influence or political power. Or the church abandons its mission to, uh, to Jesus just to attract a crowd. 
The gospel's watered down, it's modified for mass consumption. Lots of people come, but hardly anybody's changed. The mission is just to attract a crowd, just to get more people. Or the church becomes a successful business model. That's what drives the church. And the pastor gets a name and a following and eventually his own diet plan. You can laugh, that's okay. A little uncomfortable laughter, that's all right. Or the church, it's, church becomes about a cause, right? You pick, the pastor or some leader picks, we're going to be about this one thing, and we're going to fight for this one thing. And over time, the gospel gets lost, and the church becomes about this one thing. And there's no, where Jesus fits into that's unclear. Where the gospel fits into it's unclear. But the church is really clear about that one cause. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying the church shouldn't be about causes, or shouldn't have political implications, or shouldn't attract a crowd, shouldn't see conversions. It should, but that is not our central mission. Our central mission is to be a witness to the way things really are. A witness to Jesus. And this has two characteristics that should be true of us as Christians, as a church. The first, Christians, if that is our witness, we should have unshakable convictions. That everything we do as a church is done with the conviction that Jesus rose from the grave. And I think that's why some Christians and some churches are not particularly bold in their witness, while they shrink back and get smaller and smaller. It's because Christians, we look into the world and we see the evil and the injustice. We see uh, opposition. We see bad things happening. We become defeated. We become hopeless. And let me just say, like the disciples had more reason than any of us to become defeatist or hopeless or to give up. They were killed, they were persecuted, they had no hope of political influence in their day and age. They were beaten, but they had this unshakable conviction that Jesus was risen from the dead, he was reigning from history, ascended to the right hand of God, and they believed Jesus when he said, you will be my witnesses into all of the world. They believed him. And so as a church, I just want to pause for a minute. Do do you believe Acts 1-8? When you look at your family and your friends and your workplace and your neighborhood, when you look at our country and our city, do you believe Jesus when he said, you will be my witnesses into all the earth? You're joining a mission that is not going to lose. Do you believe that? Do you have supreme confidence that Jesus will move his church forward? Do you have supreme confidence that Jesus will convert the least likely person in your life to himself? Do you believe that? Do you trust the promise of Jesus? Do you, are you his witness? And yet this doesn't lead to, to arrogant, triumphalist thinking among Christians in Acts. They are, they are boldly courageous. They have unshakable convictions. And yet alongside that, they have this radical hospitality. This radical welcome to them. This week I heard a song for the first time and it, and it crushed me. And it crushed me because... Um, I know a lot of people who could sing this song is true for themselves. And the song, it's, uh, it's by a guy named Noah Gunderson. The song is called Jesus, Jesus. And here are the lyrics. Jesus, Jesus, there are those who say they love you, but they have treated me so explicit, mean. And I know you said, forgive them, for they know not what they do, but sometimes I think they do. That hurts to hear. And a lot, listen, a lot of Christians are just mean people. And I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not naive. Jesus is very explicit that if you are an Orthodox Christian, people will, will find you hateful and backwards. There will be times when people's hatred for you as a Christian will be completely unavoidable. No matter how kind you are, no matter how nice you are. Right? There's this tension in the Bible where Jesus says, you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
And yet also this theme where Jesus is constantly rebuking people for how unkind they are to those who are outside the walls of faith or those who don't believe. And even I want to take a moment, since we're in Acts, to pause and reflect on how the early church thought of this, this radical hospitality. There's a, a, an early Christian document called uh, Letter, um, Letter to Dionysus, and it's, it's written from a Christian to a Christian about how to live in this world where Christians were being persecuted, they were being killed, they were being threatened, um, they lost businesses and economic resources because of their faith, and yet here is how this Christian wrote to Dionysus to explain what being a Christian should look like in this age. Here's what he said. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse, deference, the response to insult. Is that how the world sees our congregation? Is that how the world sees me? Is that how the world sees you? And yet that's how the early church lived. They, they, They were so unconcerned with being proven right or vindicated in this life because they knew the Savior for whom they served. They We are on the wrong side of history as a church. And yet, because Jesus reigns, we are on the right side of history. And there there becomes this opportunity for us to operate in a culture that sees us as backward and is wrong and is hateful. And yet, to embrace that knowing that Jesus died for those people, first of all. And secondly, Jesus is making all things new. He's accomplishing his redemption and salvation. And he often does it through suffering. He mostly does it through suffering. And it allowed the early church to operate with this radical hospitality. They welcomed in people who persecuted. That when a plague struck Rome early in the church history, the very people who had spent their lives persecuting and abandoning the church, Christians stayed and cared for those who were sick, even though the the likelihood of them getting that disease and dying themselves was incredibly high. When everyone else fled the city, the Christians, those whom had been persecuted and and defamed and, and cursed, they stayed and they cared. And that... According to Rodney Stark, a historian, said that changed the trajectory of the church. Suddenly, Romans became Christians at alarmingly high rates because of Christians' radical hospitality. And so our, our mission as a church, is to, it's, it's really hard to hold those two things together. Unshakable convictions, right? We will not change what we believe to fit the spirit of the age. But at the same time, we will welcome anyone into our homes, into, our, into conversation, That is central to our mission. On the one hand, we will not be moved because we believe Jesus is king. But on the other hand, anyone could be welcomed because that is a person for whom Jesus died. Radical hospitality alongside unshakable convictions. That's what it means to bear witness. We're bearing witness to the the way things really are, secondly. And then thirdly, um, the church is sent. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Judea. And in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, our mission includes going. And so as we think about our sentness, I want to think about three things. Um, First is we are sent together. 
And, and listen, I, throughout the course of the sermon, I've critiqued the church in a number of ways. And a lot of people's response to a critiquing of the church is that we should forsake the institutional church altogether. We should stop going. Or we should create kind of an alternative church structure, just gather with our friends, do something you know, off to the side almost. Um, but I, I, think of, I think of that as a major mistake. And, 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 and think of it like this. I... You know, I grew up in Indianapolis, so I've been a Colts fan most of my life, and I'm very close to, like, converting into the Chiefs' kingdom. I'm not quite there yet. The, uh, I'll be real, the 18-point playoff loss didn't help things. Um, it's like, I got enough suffering in my life. I don't need this. Um, and yet, at the same time as a Cubs fan, I was like, you know what? But next year looks really promising. So it's, uh, maybe I'm fit. I don't know. But, but, but one of the reasons why, like, being a Chiefs fan could become, you know, my future is, one, like, the Arrowhead Stadium uh, you know, experience is pretty amazing. Like, that's a pretty amazing, uh, I would say, unique NFL experience. To be a part of a city and a community, rooting for the same team, you know, thinking about the same things together, right? It's this community witness that makes the Chiefs more credible to me than if, like, I went to the Chiefs and there were, like, a game and there were, like, 30 guys there and none of them were wearing shirts and they were all overweight. Then I'd be like, you know, this maybe isn't my thing. I'm going to leave, um, which could very easily, you know, be that. And so a community witness is incredibly important to making something Incredible. And so church, by being on mission together, by working together to use our gifts empowered by the Spirit, as we speak the truth in love to one another, as we, as we become gospel witnesses to one another, gospel encourages to one another, as we forgive each other, as we humbly serve each other, as we live out what we are supposed to be as the church, that becomes a compelling witness to the community far more than if I just go by myself to some person and say, you should believe in Jesus. No, what we should be saying is you need to be a part of this community. It's different, right? That's why every week we do confession and assurance because this community is different. We believe the order of the universe is that God receives us and forgives us as we confess our sins in the name of Jesus. That's different than the way the rest of the world works. And so we need to be a witnessing community. That's one. But secondly, uh, we're not just sent out together, but we're sent out. And I want to think about this. I think I've said this before, but last year I did a couple of weddings in um, normally, I don't. I, I get really nervous at weddings, mostly because uh, one of the first weddings I ever did, it was like the most formal wedding I, I, I had done to date. It was in a really formal setting, downtown Indianapolis, this really nice restaurant. The family was really formal, and it's just like I was the one thing that didn't fit in the whole, uh, the whole picture, you know. And, and I was a, a rural pastor. I had a beard that was even more ridiculous than what it is right now, fitting in with the cultural context of that day. But, but we go, we do the wedding, and I'm really nervous, and I think, I mean, I get to the end, and I think I've just killed it. Like, I've nailed this thing, and this, is, this was great. And, and so I start, I do the pronouncement of marriage, and I start going through the whole ceremony. It's like, we, we've gathered together, and your dad gave you away, and we, you know, we prayed together, and we exchanged vows, and we exchanged rings. And as I began to speak out loud, we exchanged rings, I realized we actually had not exchanged rings. <laughs> and I had this thought, I just, as I, I said that, I slowed down, I was like, can you do a ceremony without exchanging rings? Will anyone know this didn't happen, um, except for me? And I thought, probably probably someone will know. So I, I just had to stop and say, we didn't do the rings. And so we, we backed up. So I'm normally, I'm normally terrified at, at doing weddings because of that. But I did a couple of weddings last year and mostly non-Christians in the audience and, you know, did my, my normal typical things. But both weddings, went, it went really well. And after both weddings, I had, actually had complete strangers come up to me and ask me if I would do their wedding, which was like, is this a side business thing that I should look into or something? <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. I was really unsure about that as a joke. Uh, so good. I won't get fired yet. Um, but it's like, it was weird. Like, why, why do you want me to do your wedding? Especially some of them lived far away. And, and so as, but as we began to talk, I, it became abundantly clear why they wanted me to do their wedding. And, and the reason was because they, when we, we got into what they found compelling, it was, it was the gospel. When I got to the point where I just said, listen, your, your, your marriage needs 
all the forgiveness and grace and repentance you can get. And listen, I, you can try it any way you want. I think the only way you can do it is with Jesus. It's essentially what I said. And, and they said, that, like, that just really spoke to us, not Christians. And I, I sort of left that feeling, actually feeling really sad that here are people in their you know, late 20s, early 30s who live in the United States where there are churches everywhere and there are Christians everywhere. And it was, it was clear to me they had no clue what the basic gospel message was. Which meant whatever, like whatever the churches were around them were doing, it was clearly not preaching the gospel. It was something else. It was right, it's a pastor getting a following. It was a church following a cause. It was a church being a political entity. But they weren't preaching the gospel. Because I think when you do, it is, listen, even if you don't believe it or receive it, it is, it is beautiful and it is moving. And what's sad is I think... There are a lot of people outside the walls of our congregation who don't know it. And the reason we gather every week to preach it and to hear it and speak it to one another is so that you'll go out into your neighborhoods and into your workplaces and with your families and with your friends and find little moments to apply and to speak the good news of Jesus into their life. And I think that's why, like, even though you worship in a room that says, um, I'd rather eat bugs than do drugs, um, you are in the most, this is the, mo, the best opportunity you're ever going to have to really understand the importance of going out. Right? Because if we don't do that as a church, we die. We cease to exist. If we don't welcome people in who are seeking, we die. We cease to exist. Right? We, we have to have more people come in or we, we don't work. It doesn't work anymore. And so we are forced in this moment to not say, okay, how do we make everybody in this room happy? And how do we make sure everybody loves what's happening? No, we have to think outside ourselves. And listen, the reality is the longer a church exists, the, the bigger its building gets, the easier it becomes to turn inward, to become inward focused, to forget there's community and there's people who have never heard the gospel, who you walk by every day, who you know every day. We have the best, you have the best opportunity right now you will ever have to believe. And it's why, it's why this was so important to me to do, not to go to a church where it would be easy, but to go to a church where I would be forced to find people who did not know the gospel and share it. Whether they come or not, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to bear witness into all our neighborhood, into all our city, this good news. And we're sitting out, right? We don't expect them to come to us. We go to them. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you are. And I know it's hard. Like We sit back and we wonder, well, will I offend somebody? Will I say something stupid? Listen, people are hungry for the gospel. They are hungry for it. And when they hear it, when they, whether they believe or not, it's, it is a moment that moves them, that even makes them willing to have some weird guy come do their wedding. Right? That's how compelling the gospel is. We are sent out to speak it. May we speak it. So that's second. We are sent out. We are sent together. And thirdly, we are sent for the whole world. And what Jesus says here is pretty astounding. He says to his disciples that this movement is going to go to the ends of of the earth. And friends, the disciples did that. Church tradition says that Thomas went to India. That's 4,000 miles on foot. Paul went into Rome and probably into Spain. This week, I spent two weeks of my year, 2017, I spent two weeks of my year in China. The church is exploding there. You're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. This morning, you're going to hear about what's happening with the church in, in Cuba. And this is stunning when you think about this, because Jesus is speaking to, to a few guys and a, and a few women who 
most of whom had just failed when Jesus was crucified, they all scattered and ran. So they're, they're terrified, they're afraid. Jesus, the most compelling part of the church, of the witness, is getting ready to leave. Right? So the best salesman, like the best representative, is going to leave, and you're just going to be left with these people. And those people took the gospel into all the world. That we, the church, we are sent to give witness to the way things really are. And if you feel convicted by the sermon, if you feel overwhelmed, if you're like, I'm not doing that, or how can I do that? The answer for you today, it's not to go out and hand tracks. It's not to go and call up somebody in your family who's not a Christian and tell them about hell. That's not what I'm, I'm saying to do today. What you need to do most is you need to actually believe the gospel. If you are not bearing witness to the reign of Jesus, to those around you, you probably do not yet fully believe the gospel and its implication. Because friends, if you think about what's happened since Acts 1, it is hard not to believe the gospel, isn't it? What's happened in the last 2,000 years? I mean, you pull back from Acts 1a and you, you think about what has happened. Jesus is right now in this moment telling a few dozen poorly educated, non-influential people who had basically all just abandoned Jesus at his moment of need when he went to a cross. And he tells these scared, afraid people that they're going to be witnesses into all of the world. Like it's a completely ridiculous thing to say, because even you have to understand, when Jesus said this, there was no worldwide religion. Like every religion just existed in one little corner of the world. There was no worldwide religion. But now, these few uneducated, scared fishermen did something that had never happened. Something impossible. And how did this happen? How did the church go from a few scared fishermen, a few unimportant women from Jerusalem? How did that happen to where now the church is a, a worldwide movement of billions of people. How did that happen? Well, because this is the way things really are. Jesus went into a grave and he came out. He showed a lot of people that this was true, this really happens. And now he sits at the right hand of God, making all things new, bringing about redemption and salvation. And he welcomes and invites you into his kingdom to join the way things really are. And when you join, he then sends you back out to bear witness into all the world. He's sending you out to bear witness to this good news that death, injustice, suffering, all of those things, as real as they are in this moment, they are on their way out. Because Jesus is on the throne, resurrection, life, healing, and peace. That is the way things really are. And you and I are sent to bear witness to that reality. And Jesus does not say you might be his witnesses. This might go into all the earth. No, he says you will be my witnesses. Right? Into Shawnee, into Lenexa, into Kansas City, into Kansas, Missouri, into the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Jesus, I, I confess in this moment, I often don't believe the gospel enough. There are people in my family I look at and think, no, they, they won't believe. There are moments when um, the Spirit prompts me to, to speak the truth of Jesus, and, and I think, God, oh, that won't do anything. And God, there's moments when as a church we, we can recoil in fear and not step out in courage. God, forgive us for that and bring us back to this moment when Jesus left the disciples 
telling them they would bear witness into all the world. And it happened. God, this week, as we move out into whatever you call us to, would that be the thing that drives and animates every step we take, every, think, every thought that we think, every word we speak, God, may it be spoken with this history and this truth that Jesus has ascended, the world has changed, and your gospel has gone forth into all the world. God, we want to participate in that. Empower us, we pray, by your spirit. Amen.